Do you sometimes wonder if you have a positive company culture? Would you like to demonstrate more conscious leadership? If so, stay tuned for my interview with the fabulous Jamie Tates and learn how you can make sure to attract and retain some of the best talent available to help your company grow and maximize your impact. Stay tuned. Hi, Shannon Waller here and welcome to Team Success. Today, I am thrilled to be talking to a person we decided we were probably separated at birth. (laughs) She is the founder of Keystone Group International, and she has some incredible wisdom to share about culture and how it relates to strategy. And given that I am someone who is passionate about strategy, especially ones that help people and companies maximize what they're up to, and I'm passionate about culture, I was so excited to have you on the podcast today. So, Jamie, thank you so much for joining us. You have a ton of insights and resources. But before we jump in, why don't we talk about who you are, a little bit more background information, because you can give a better introduction than I can. I love that. And thank you for not reading the bio, because I hate having to sit here and listen to that. Me too. (laughs) So a little bit about me. I'll give you the Cliff Notes version. So I did my apprenticeship for entrepreneurship in corporate America. So I spent 13 years at one of the largest privately held corporations on the planet, lived abroad, traveled globally for most of my career, and just really got, again, my apprenticeship and just how you make decisions, right? How business strategy really works, how change management and actually making the business strategy happen really works because we can have a great business strategy, but if we don't have the way to make it happen on the ground, it doesn't matter how great it is. And so when I started Keystone a little over eight years ago, my goal was to take everything I'd learned in big business and scale it for the small and mid market. I grew up in a small family business. I rode the roller coaster as I joke about, you know, good quarters and bad quarters and good years and bad years. And I just knew there was some things I had learned and and experience that I'd had that would help them kind of even out some of that, that ride. And a big piece of that is culture, like we're talking about now, and it's only become more important. I'm also a mom of four, four teenagers to be specific, (laughs) middle school all the way up to college. And so that keeps me busy along with a growing business. So I'm sure a lot of people can relate. There's a lot of balls in the air at all times. Oh my goodness. I love it. So how did you get so interested in culture and the connection with strategy? What is it that really kind of twigged you to the fact that this was way more important and strategic than most people thought? Yes. So it's actually a pretty interesting story. And I hadn't even told you before is culture really came out of sheer frustration. Mm -hmm. We were probably about three and a half years into the business and doing a lot of great strategy work. And we were seeing clients that would grow and slip back and grow and slip back financially, but there was something else happening. And we were explaining to them it was leadership and culture driven, right? They had gaps they had to fix because otherwise they were going to stay at that ceiling. And I actually created our culture model, which we call the culture strategy intersect on purpose, because my belief is, is that strategy is not over here that you think about sometimes and then culture something every now and then you think about they're very intersected. And that's only become more and more apparent the last couple of years through everything that we've gone through in the business climate. And so I was on a hike in Chautauqua Park in Boulder, Colorado, and got to the top of the mountain and went. I need to create a model that simplifies this for the normal business leader because I have yet to meet a CEO that came up through organizational effectiveness or HR. And there's nothing, no reason. It's just, that's not usually the roles that get to the top of an organization. They're salespeople, they're ops people, they're finance people. And what I realized is that the normal business leader doesn't know 
how to approach culture, right? We haven't simplified it. It's nebulous, right? It's this like mucky thing that they can feel, but they're like, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do about it. And so that was really my catalyst to say, we have to explain it in a different way so that they can walk towards it. Mm -hmm. So you've had success with your own organization and you've had some incredibly rapid growth over the last year. So Mm -hmm. if you would share that, I know you don't like to brag, (laughs) but I want to brag on you. She's putting me on the spot. I am. I am. I said, I don't want to share this. And she said, I have to. Yeah, we've grown pretty consistently. I mean, pre-COVID, you know, we were growing at a 20 to 30% clip each year. COVID, we grew by 40%. And in 2021, we're up 50% over that. And I truly attribute it to the fact that we were in the right place at the right time when the conversation we'd been trying to drive for eight years, people finally went, oh, we understand what you're talking about now, Mm -hmm. right? We're starting to see the picture that you've been painting for us. And that's really where our growth has been is on the culture side and businesses and leaders saying, it's time. Like we've got to get serious about this because we now understand it's a competitive advantage. Awesome. I want to jump into that and then we'll actually define culture and how you do that. So congratulations Mm -hmm. on your success, by the way. Thank you. And I know you through Strategic Coach and through 10X, which is exciting. So love, love, love hearing stories about how people are winning, because I think we can all learn from those and celebrate progress. So I'm thrilled about that. But I think to your point, it is a conversation that has been very amorphous, very vague, very nebulous, as you said. And the idea is kind of now like, oh, okay, because if we don't have a great culture, you don't want to come to work, neither do your teammates, by the way. So who wants that? Because it's a place we live for most of our the bulk of our waking hours are spent in the company, in our work environment. I don't care if you're in Zoom or in person. You know, it, it is the environment that we're in. And ignoring that and ignoring the people side, especially right now where talent is a big conversation, how do we attract, how do we retain and keep people, culture is a huge part of that. And if you ignore it kind of at your peril. Right. And if you're looking at millennials, people care about What's the culture of the company? What's the purpose? What are you up to? Are you having a bigger impact in the world? Which I think all kind of feeds into culture as well. So this is a really timely and relevant conversation. And I'm thrilled that people have finally caught up with what you've been right. doing probably. It was a bit under the surface and now it's on top. So you're like, oh good, now people are catching up. Right. But that's kind of what happens. Right. Peter Diamandis has a great, it's deceptive for a little while and then it comes above. And then there's mm-hmm. this upward trajectory, which is exponential and very exciting. So how do you define culture? I'm curious to how you put your arms around it and help it make sense to other people. So we define a positive culture, which I would hope any business leader that's listening is that's what we're striving towards. We define a positive culture as a place where your people leave every day better than when they came in. Ooh, I love that. Right? So simple yet not easy. But what I really mean by this is, you know, we've all had examples of places that we've worked where, you know, you come in maybe high energy, especially when you're earlier in your career, you come in high energy and you have political interactions, you know, where stuff is like people are playing politics and you don't have a great conversation with your boss and you don't have the resources you need to do what you need to do. And you leave the office depleted, right? Your bucket's empty. Yes. When I talk about that with leaders, I say, imagine the impact we're having on society because we're bringing people in higher energy, we're depleting them all day long, and we're sending them home to their families, to their communities, and I no joke, to their liquor cabinets to just deal with life. 
and then they come in and do it again the next day. And I think what that does is really resonates for business leaders. That idea of conscious leadership that we really talk about is this is our jobs. Mm-hmm. Just like to raising our kids, just like being a great soccer coach, our job is to help people grow and be better every single day. And when we get those priorities screwed up, that's when our culture takes a hit. Okay, that is a fabulous definition. One of the things I really like about it is it's so personal. You can kind of look around at your team if you're someone who's in a leadership role and go, yes, this person's leaving uplifted. Yes, this person is. No, this person's depleted. You know, you can actually go, oh, my team's leaving depleted every day. There's a mindset that goes along with this, Jamie, that I know you're, you're very clear on. But there's an older model of business, which I think is, I hope it's dead. I know it's not, but I wish it was, which is where people are a resource to extract value from. They're a thing. They're not people. They're simply a resource of energy, of talent, of capability. And our job is to, yes, we're paying them in exchange. We get as much as we can suck dry from this person. Now, I think that's a very mechanistic way of looking at business that comes from probably go back to Frederick Taylor and some other people, right? Kind of like treating people as machines, same way that Mm -hmm. people used to look at bodies as a machine. And then you realize it's really not, there's way more going on. So it's that old mechanistic model, but now we're shifting to a very different conscious way of looking at it. Does that resonate with you? It does. And the word that we use is transaction, right? So employees feel like they're being treated like a transaction instead of like a human, right? That has unique strengths and unique abilities, which you guys is, you right? That's the biggest thing that I preach based on what I've learned from coach is that everybody's got this unique ability and our job for the business is to figure out everybody's unique ability because then they're no longer a transaction. Yes. And what's going to fill somebody's bucket day in and day out is different than the next person. And that's why leadership is hard, mm-hmm. right? That's the first thing we say in our trainings and our culture work is like, This is not going to be easy, but it's going to be so worth it Mm -hmm. because it's like playing the long game versus the short game, Mm -hmm. right? Solving for the short-term pain. We're solving for the long-term pain, right? The piece that's going to impede the growth of the business. And what's happened in the last five to seven years, which has really helped us too, is that the studies and the statistics around culture being tied to business strategy, to business results, I mean, every single day something comes out from McKinsey. Every single day, something comes out from HBR, right? And so we're now seeing all of these statistics that essentially for business leaders that aren't convinced yet, I need them to go read more about this because positive cultures, they do studies on this, positive cultures outperform the S&P 500 index by four to five times. So the numbers are there. The time is now. I mean, 19 million workers. I just read this McKinsey article. 19 million U.S. workers have quit their jobs just since this April of 2021, not even talking about 2020. Six months. 19 million. Right. And a huge chunk of those are women that have left the workforce with no plans to come back. And what organizations don't understand is it's the transactional relationship feeling that's forcing people to not be loyal because they don't feel as if the company is loyal to them. There's that loyalty word that's being used a lot. And we've got to really, really start paying attention or it's going to be super painful in the coming years to even be able to do the work that you already do. That's a really great point. Forget growing, right? You know, if you're listening to this, you're on the growth track for sure. So if you want to be a growing organization and contribute to that, this is something 
that you absolutely need to pay attention to. Right. And here's where I think this is so fun. I really, I feel like we're two halves to a whole <laughs> because, you know, one of my insights about organization. So if I look at our unique ability model, to your point, mm-hmm. you know, there's incompetent, competent, excellent, and unique abilities. And that's true for an individual. It's also true for an organization, it is. right? So I've taken it to the organizational because organizational development is my secret passion. And I sort of apply it to entrepreneurial companies. Most people do it in large ones. But I realize it's like the companies that are winning the most, and again, lots of studies that validate this, big companies tend to focus in on competent and excellent abilities. That's what they reward. But if you're unique, you kind of, you know, challenge status quo. And I'm right. If you can see me, I'm flicking something off my hand right now. You kind of get flicked out because you're not very comfortable because you don't conform to all the rules. But the opportunity for an entrepreneurial organization is to actually design it so that people can thrive doing what they're excellent at. So they're where they have superior skill and where they're also unique, where they have superior skill and passion. They love it. Right. They get lit up. And so they're happier when they leave than when they showed up, right? which is kind of unusual. So I think there's a major opportunity. I mean, you work with all sizes of organization, including some very large ones. Mm-hmm. But I do think that in my experience, entrepreneurial companies have a unique advantage in the sense that they can structure things a little differently to take better advantage of people's unique abilities. Right. And even people that are in, as your organization is growing and there are, you know, different divisions or departments and different locations, you know, we get that question a lot is, The one thing I want all leaders that are listening to realize is culture is the leader's choice. Mm. The culture of the team they have control over, because we hear from a lot of leaders, especially in larger organizations, well, I can't influence at the top, right? Our culture isn't good, but what you can control is the culture around you. And that could be your peers, but it also is your team. And that's where you start. You don't wait to move the mountain, you know, all the way up the top is you start with you and by you modeling that right behavior and how you treat your people and how you use their unique abilities. And that will trickle out to the organization, right? Other people will be influenced by that. And they'll want to work on your team. Correct. Right. Which is like people are saying, what are you doing that I'm not that has people wanting to work on your team? So that's really interesting. So another question that comes to my mind is a lot of culture, at least in entrepreneurial companies, is based on personality. Mm-hmm. which has some pluses and some minuses. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think there's the individual culture, you know, there's a way I like being and the way I like being treated. So that's the kind of culture that all create. And we've talked about this at Strategic Coach, actually. And then there's other people who are of a different kind of perspective on what they value and appreciate and what they reward. Mm-hmm. And then there's the overall company. So talk to me about the dynamic between the individual approach to culture versus the company approach to culture. I mean, imagine there needs to be some alignment or congruency between those. Yeah. So I will draw a parallel. That's something that everybody understands is your business strategy. Yes. Right. So in an organization, you've got your big business strategy. That's like maybe three, 10 years out, the big thing that you want to accomplish. And then as that strategy breaks down throughout the organization, There are other components, right? There are strengths within the sales department that we'll take advantage of to help drive that. Operations, they have a different unique approach to how they're going to help support that business strategy. We need to think about culture in the same way. Mm -hmm. And that's why leadership is so important. But every organization needs to have a cultural vision for what they want it to feel like to be part of their organization. That's your core values, right? It's a lot of these other things that we've been hearing about for years. That's important. 
But what we can't do is manage the culture at that level. We have to break it down, but they have to be pointed all in the same direction. They have to have the same strategy for their culture and where we want to move it. And some areas are going to have further to move than others, just like in your business strategy, right? If 2022 is going to be a high growth, right? Our operations are lockstep, but it's going to be a high growth opportunity because of the marketplace. The sales organization is going to have a heavier lift in the next year and operations is kind of keeping the lights on because they maybe had a heavy lift the year before. We're not all starting at the same place when it comes to culture, but we can all want to end up in the same place. And that's the piece that we do control as leaders is knowing where we're at, which is, to be honest, a lot of the work that we do, because as a leader, you're too close to it. You don't actually see the culture for what it is in an outside third party that doesn't have a horse in the race, right, is unbiased can come in and really turn the mirror and say, this is what I'm seeing. This is what the data is telling us. And these are the areas you need to focus on. It's not everything's wrong. It's focusing on those areas, much like a heat map. Mm. That's how we talk about our model. And it's red, yellow, and green. The green, keep doing what you're doing because you're already doing something well, right? It's having an impact. The yellow is at risk, right? So you need to probably just pay attention to it. And the areas that are red are actually detracting from the areas that you're doing well in. So we need to get those up. We need to get them to another level. And so that's the biggest impact of the work that we do is we give them the map to say, here's where to focus your efforts, right? It's not all bad, but focus in these areas. And it's interesting because I think that big perspective is very strategic because a lot of times people, I tend to have a fairly positive mindset, but like, oh, well, look at all the great things we're doing well, right. but they're not realizing where the subtraction is, mm-hmm. right? So this is great. This is keep doing more of this, but people are not necessarily cognizant of or savvy to, you know, the things that are actually subtracting, which will cause some good people to leave. So before we talk yes. in, about how you do that, because I think that's super exciting, what are some of the costs of not having a positive culture? Let's just make sure people are very aware of not paying attention to this. And this is, you know, culture and strategy make a huge difference. Right. So let's talk about what happens if people don't have a good culture. Right. So the ones that the lower performers probably will stay, right? Your top performers won't. Yeah. And they don't have to, especially in a market we're in. But even before that, right? A players were moving around at the very beginning of COVID. I remember reading an article that the A players were still moving. Even in the midst of the chaos, when it was first all happening, there was still movement at that top performance level of talent. Mm -hmm. So they don't have to put up with it. But what leaders need to realize is typically your A players want to be part of making it better, but we do not engage them in the conversation because we won't be real with ourselves that it's a problem, Right. right? We blame other things for why that's happening or this happened or why that person left. And, you know, usually we say it's salary or benefits or something. I read a stat that it was like 89% of managers believe their people leave because of money and only 12% actually do, (laughs) right? So we are disconnected from the reasons why people are leaving. And so our biggest thing is when we do our work, we do focus groups, we do interviews, we are engaging large cross sections of the organization into the conversation Mm. because they want to be part of the solution but we have to engage them. And we also have to be very transparent. We make all of our clients share their heat map, the good, the bad, and the ugly with the entire organization, meaning standing up and saying, we've done the work. We now see there's areas that are not where we want them to be. Here's our vision. And it might take us a couple years, two to three years, 
But just doing that in an organization can retain the A players because they see the humbleness, right? And the vulnerability of like, we aren't where we want to be. Just like you would if your sales and your growth wasn't happening the way you want it to, right? You'd stand up and say, how do we do this team? Let's go. We have to do the exact same thing for our culture, but it's so important to involve them. This is not a leadership top-down thing. It's actually all parts of the organization, and we talk about meeting in the middle, right? So we need to understand what the leader's vision is, but we also need to understand what the reality is and how far we need to go to close the gap. Right. And I think that's often a tough conversation, but to your point earlier about transactional, you know, if leaders are transactional with the team, team's going to feel it. And if they can exit, and if they can't, then you're stuck with them, which is right. It's not very flattering. But then also, if your relationship focused with them, they will be with you too. Correct. If they know that you want to make a change, they will give you that benefit of the doubt. They will give you that opportunity, especially if they get to contribute to it, because people do want to be part of something bigger than themselves. They do want to make that bigger contribution Mm -hmm. to help create a work home, right, for somewhere that they want to come every day and that makes them better. So I think if we're coming from that relationship standpoint, it does work both ways. People will be generous with us as leaders if we're transparent, as you mentioned, if we're open and clear. So I'm dying to know, Jamie, what are some of the areas that you focus on with people? Like in terms of the red, yellow, green, what are some of the areas where example of where someone's thriving and doing really, really well in terms of their culture and where they need to improve? I'm just, I'd love to know the kind of things you look at. Yeah. So we look at 20 factors and it can seem overwhelming, but what we're really trying to do is take this nebulous thing that just feels a certain way and break it down into tangible things that we can actually measure Because, you know, measurement is what actually keeps us at it. You know, I give the analogy of if I want to lose 25 pounds, if I don't see a pound at a time coming off and I'm just waiting for the 25, I'm going to give up at some point. It's the exact same thing with this is if you don't see the small improvements, like, no, there's something happening here. You're never going to stick to it, right? Mm -hmm. So you got to stay on the diet plan for the culture piece to work. And so some of the things that we talk about, and again, we've got this all on our website for free. So I'll share that at the end. I know it'll be in the show notes. We give it away, right? We are a boutique consulting firm. We do not plan to do this for every company on the planet. We want you to be able to have these conversations. And so we've got a downloadable that has great questions that you can talk with your team. You can assess yourself, right? Make your own heat map on where you think you're at and start those conversations. But what we talk about is that interconnection between these things. So for example, We just had this last week with a client where they had an emerging leaders program, right? Which is awesome. That's usually something we try to bring in. It's that next level of talent that you're trying to prepare for leadership before you need them to be leaders. And they did all this career development, right? Leadership development and training with those people. And they kept seeing them leave after a certain period of time. And they're like, what the heck is going on? Like we're doing all of this. And we came in and did this survey and the results we had to show back to them were you were really strong in those areas but there was no accountability in the organization. So these emerging leaders got everything put on them because they were top performers, Mm. right? And they didn't trust their leaders because the leaders they reported to felt they weren't servant leaders, right? And they felt like these people were gonna take their jobs. So that's the correlation between these different factors. So career development, leadership training, accountability, trust, purpose, personal why. We talk about the combination and the interconnectedness of all of these concepts is really the secret sauce, right? If we can understand how one impacts the other, because this company is like, I wish we would have known two years ago that we had these other gaps. 
because we were investing hundreds of thousands of dollars in these people, but not solving for the things that were actually the most frustrating for them. Mm, that's really interesting. Yeah, I'm actually looking at your handout <laughs> that you have that we'll make available. And it's so clear. So just to what you're saying, some of the foundational clarity, vision, conscious leadership, which I think we should still talk more about, mm-hmm. values, communication, transparency, yes, purpose, trust, that's such a big deal, company elements, everything to comp and benefits, accountability is huge. So I actually, let's drill down on a couple of these points because I think they're, Mm -hmm. some of them people I think think they know already, but let's talk about conscious leadership a little bit. What does that mean to you? Because I think it's a brilliant term and I think that'd be great if all of us were more aware. Yeah, so conscious leadership, right? So leadership is your ability to lead, inspire, you know, people. Conscious leadership is really how you do that. Okay. So in conscious leadership, and we have full training programs around this, we talk about love, care, and respect for your people. So we use the L word in business, just FYI. I know it makes some people squirm. We use it every day. I love it. Because like you said earlier, we are with these people at work more than we are with our families. Mm-hmm. And if we can't get to a point where we truly love, care, and respect for them as humans, Right. There's no way we're going to get the performance out of them, right? Studies will show that the average employee, we get 40% of their unique ability, 40% of their performance and what they're capable of every day. And I joke with business owners, it's not really a joke that if I told you to come in every day and burn a pile of cash, you would look at me like I was crazy. Yet that's what we're doing, Mm -hmm. right? When we don't have leaders that are conscious and aren't getting the most out of their people, by treating them right in the right way. And so we've seen impacts of growth with our clients with no additional headcount. Like we almost usually come in and say, stop worrying about hiring people. Are you maximizing the people you already have here today? Nice. Right? Is your culture even utilizing who you have today versus solving for a pain and just adding another body because it feels painful? The harder part as a leader is to go inside, right? And really assess how conscious of a leader you are and how are you treating your people. I love this so much, Jamie, because it ties in with how I think about people. You know, and I'm a bit of a profile junkie, so I'm well aware of the cognitive profiles, the personality and everything from the surface level behaviors and preferences all the way down to what your unconscious drivers and motivators are. And then how you take action, which is Colby and your will and your instinct, Mm -hmm. not just your intuition. And when those are all aligned, it is so powerful. And that's actually my goal for humans is that our head, hearts, and will, our guts can align because then you've got a fully powered human and a very happy one that's making a great contribution. Another way to relate what you're talking about is not just people's heads. They're not just as Peter Diamandis would say, meat bodies with a brain on top. Right. <laughs> kind of crude, but it works. People bring their hearts with them. So I love the L word. In fact, I was laughing as you talked. I'm like, some of my chats today, hey, love, how are you doing? Love working with you. Right. I use the L word a lot right. because I do. I genuinely love people as my friends and my teammates. And it makes for an amazing, fast, productive working relationship. Mm-hmm. And so people know if you're with me, you're probably going to get hugs and lots of love coming your way. Right. But also team members need to come in prepared to bring that to the table too. And yes. some people are not, so it works both ways. But even just that basic respect, which to my means you have to know people's talents. You have to be learning about them. You can't just treat them as a thing. You need to treat them as a human being. So anyway, there's so much. I love that because you're really about treating people as individuals, not things. 
And what you've hit on too, because there are guaranteed there are people listening that their personalities are not the huggers, the love. That's just not who they are. And they're thinking, oh, this is fluffy stuff, right? I know they're listening because we come across them all the time. Yeah. What we are saying here is exactly what you just said is be you because an authentic leader is one that people want to follow. So instead of love, if it's you want to have conversations with your people to say, I want the best for you. Like, I want you to be successful and flourish. Like, what's that going to take? Or what do you need from me? That's love. You don't have to use the L word. It's the love, care, and respect. Do it in your own personal way, because I don't want that to be an excuse for why people don't walk towards this conscious leadership approach. You can do it in your, I mean, I'm a hugger, touchy-feely, right? Love all the time. And I'm married to an engineer. Right? The way he shows it, and now there's people chuckling, I guarantee, because they're in those situations. The way he shows it is totally different, but he can still be a conscious leader. Totally. Right? And his love shows up differently. And that's a phenomenal, thank you, because I don't want to turn anyone off this idea because it's so pure. And love is when you do want what's best for the other person. Right. That's the best definition I know. Yes. Right? So whether you do it in our way or a different way, it's really wanting what's best for them, not just what they can do for you. That's really the distinction for that. So awesome. Thank you for that. Now let's do just a bit of a dive into, oh my gosh, I actually want to talk about accountability (laughs) because that's a tough one for so many people. What are just one or two ways that you kind of tackle this? So I'm going to simplify this down for people. (laughs) We have this conversation all the time. If you can answer yes to this question, are all of the people, let's just say within your team, let's not try to tackle the whole organization right now, all of the people in your team in the right seats and do they all know exactly what you expected them? Right. If you're sitting here going, I think so, the answer is no. (laughs) You will know if they know exactly what is expected of them. And here's the deal. It's never done, right? Accountability is a living, breathing thing. The best thing we can do is solve our issues mm-hmm. in the business with accountability. Mm. Why did that process break down with the customer? I don't know who's accountable for that part of the process. And then we all stare at each other. Well, let's make someone accountable, mm-hmm. right? For their good, because they probably want to own it and fix it. And it's better for the whole organization. But we see accountability as something we do to people instead of accountability as being part of the conversation to help us solve the issues for the growth of our business. Does that make sense? I love it. I love it. Yes. And what it brings to mind for me is I like results-oriented job descriptions. I don't like typical job descriptions because they really just list mm-hmm. activities, not Correct. what not what you're accountable for, which drives me crazy. So EOS, Entrepreneurial Operating System, mm-hmm. has great strategies for this. Strategic Coach has phenomenal tools. Like I think about our experience transformer, right? Right, which is how you learn from a situation. But it's so encouraging to have people take accountability. And Dan's great because anytime there's a breakdown, he goes ninety nine percent of the time it's the process, not the people. Mm-hmm. But when you do refine the process, someone says, "Oh yeah, I skipped my step." Sorry. And it encourages accountability because we're not beating up on people. We're sitting down as a team going, oh, this turned out well. How can we replicate it and make it better? Or this did not go well. What worked? What didn't? And knowing what we know now, what could we do differently next time? And it's amazing because then people own up. They take responsibility. They're accountable. It's awesome. And I do want to caution. There's some companies that are going really fast. Actually, I was just having a conversation earlier today about this. Mm that it's in some of the leadership, <laughs> these are clients I coach and my colleague Jodette coaches are like, things are changing so fast. I need to catch up with our, right. 
Right. right? And I think that's a challenge. You might have slightly different accountability shifting quarter to quarter, but if you don't keep pace with it, you're going to feel completely lost. Does that make sense? Right. I would. And what we would coach in those high growth environments, and I was doing this with a client last week, is then let's understand the accountability today, but let's map out six months and 12 months from now and how do we see it evolving so we can bridge. Nice. Because it's a conscious bridging then, right? We know that this is going to move here. And so when we feel it move, we're not like, ah, everything's out of control. No, no, no. It's in control. We're just making that shift. And what these accountability conversations do is they remove the emotion. Right. Yes. Right. We've talked about it. You missed a step. All right. You acknowledge it. We acknowledge it. We all know you're not saying, I didn't do it. Right. We're not, you're mad at me or you don't like me. Is it right? We're making it non-emotional, which makes us so much more productive in our organizations. Yeah. And often people are like, oh, there wasn't a step. I didn't like was one time. Right. Silly little thing where there was a sharp deadline. This had to get edited. The person edited it. I'm like, where is it? She goes, oh, it's on the corner of my desk. And I'm like, oh, geez, Murphy. Clearly, I did not do a good enough job of letting you know where it needed to go next. I'm like, okay, note to self. And then I don't have to beat up on people. It's more like, not that I don't get frustrated because I do. Right. But it's like, okay, here's a step in the process that I need to pay more attention to. And so did she. So we fixed it. it. Never happened again. But what you did was a perfect example of leadership is you said, I must have missed something in setting clear expectations with that person. You didn't immediately go, they're an idiot, right? But that's what we do is the first thing should be take responsibility as a leader. If something is falling apart, if something isn't working right in your, in your organization, why? Yeah. Right. What have you not done to set the right stage of expectations? Yeah. Which is what's going to drive accountability. And entrepreneurs... We are so prone to, here's an idea. Let me spit it out. Yeah. Dan has this great, great thing. He said, basically, don't think in public. (laughs) Right. You know, don't brainstorm in public. That's very good advice. Which is funny because it puts the right spin on it. And that's why the impact filter is so bloody useful because it's like purpose, importance, ideal outcome, intellectually sell yourself then best result, worst result, if you don't take action or if it goes poorly, emotionally sell yourself. Success criteria. I guarantee if you're talking in general in a conversation brainstorming, you never actually get to the point of coming up with the success criteria. No. So if it's a fast filter, it's five minutes, actually four, four and a half. And then if it's a long one, it's 15 or 20 minutes for the full page. And you are so much smarter at the end about what your expectations are, but it's taking that little bit of a pause between your idea stimulus response to actually clarify that. So it's fun. As you're talking, I'm knitting in coach tools. Well, I'm a crazy visionary, right? So I am that person that I have to not think out loud sometimes, but I have a whole file of impact filters that I haven't given to anybody. Right. That's the purpose of it to put my own filter on. Okay. So why is that? So why is it? Because I got to the end of it and I was like, "Eh, I don't know if I'm as passionate about it as I thought I was, right? Or maybe it's not something we should do right now, but I keep them. And I review them every now and then, and sometimes they pop out. Most of the time, they just stay there forever. That's why it's called a filter. <laughs> right. <laughs> only, right. Only about 10% of the ones that Dan does, he does a lot, yeah. actually turn into projects. So when he hands it over, team knows, go. Right. Like this is something that Dan sold on. So there's no question. Whereas I have team members who've told me, this is fortunately years ago, they're like, they have the three times rule. 
And actually, this was a person in coach who said this. And I was like, oh my gosh, tell me it's not true. But it was. This is before the impact filter. And he's like, oh yeah, it's the third time I hear it that I know it's for sure. I'm like, oh, we've heard that in organizations. Oh yeah. They just wait for the wind to change directions and hope you forget about that thing you learned at a conference that you went to, right? That's what CEOs and leaders do. They come back all fired up. And then six months later, they're like, I don't even remember what you're talking about. Oh yeah. It's like, oh, we're not doing that anymore. Meanwhile, the team's put months of work into it and you're like, oh, geez, great. So you can see how that cynicism (laughs) builds up really fast. And how it impacts the culture, right? So this is all tied together because we're not having those expectations setting. Like, what are you working on? Wait, that we're still doing. No, 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 no. That's not, I mean, we need to be able to have those conversations on a regular basis with our people to reset. And after people have spent 20 minutes on it, not two months, right? Right. Like that has to be something that happens much more often. Well, I really like this. Jamie, because it's really boiling it down to our day-to-day interactions. Right. Because again, culture is this big thing. Hard to put your fingers on it. I always really appreciate Tony Shea's comment about culture, Mm -hmm. which is your brand today is your culture three years ago, or your (laughs) your culture is your brand. So it becomes what is out in the world. Mm -hmm. And so it might be the backstage version, but it will be front stage at some point. So really figuring that out and you've made it really personal. Oh my gosh, this is so fun. So anyway, those are only two of the 20 <laughs> elements that you manage in case anyone's like super curious here. So before we touch on to how people can kind of get more inf- information about you, mm-hmm. anything else about strategy? Because I think, you know, the fact that you have had 50% growth in the last year, which mm-hmm. is amazing, but it's where the culture and strategy intersect. Mm-hmm. That to me is fascinating because again, as I said at the beginning, I am passionate about strategy. It's something I always have my sensors out for and pay attention to. I love maximizing those and culture. So just tie that together for us a smidge more so that people are super clear. Yeah. What we really want to send, the message we want to send by naming it this way is we want your culture goals and all of that to be right next to your sales goals, your growth goals, your operations goals, right? We want it to all be part of the same whole Mm-hmm. because so much of this was something that we did over here on the side. It didn't make the strategy and the strategic plan. Nice. And every single one of our clients now has a people and culture pillar, right, of their strategic plan because you have to be doing something always. Yes. And if we just focus on our sales numbers and, you know, I tell them, I say, so if I can show you these numbers and you can see that your culture is 30% worse than it was last year or the year before, would you do something about it? I mean, you would if it was your sales numbers, creating the metrics and tying these things together. You need to have culture metrics, meaning some of these factors on your scorecard right next to your revenue and your profits and your everything else that you measure. So that's what we mean by really melding the two is not thinking of them as something different anymore. They have to all be front of mind every day, every week. Well, and I think what allows that to happen is having it be measurable, right? You know, having the fact that you can put numbers to it, like a sales number, like an operations number as, you know, any kind of thing you track in your business with scorecards, that's so critical. And that's been kind of the missing piece. Mm -hmm. I'm sure leaders are like, you know, grabbing their hands onto it and going, okay, tell me more. Right. (laughs) Which is great. Right. So, okay. We love scorecards. We love models. You have a questionnaire that people can download. Mm -hmm. So, if anyone's kind of wanting to go, like, okay, I'm super curious now. You've sold me on the value of 
culture and the fact that we can make it real, make it tangible. How can people access the resources? We'll be sure to include them in the show notes too. But if people really do want to enhance their awareness to create, again, your definition of culture is so great that people leave better than they came in, <laughs> you know, more mm-hmm. positive, is such a simple yet clear way to articulate that. So mm-hmm. that's one of my big takeaways. But how can people kind of go into some of these measurements and learn more for themselves and evaluate where they think they're at right yeah. now? Yeah. Well, the first recommendation would be is just to go to our website, Keystone Group INTL. It's short for international, keystonegroupintl.com. The downloadable that you talked about, it's got some great stats. It's got great questions to just start having with your team because some of this is just starting the conversation. So if you go onto our culture page, it says download the guide, the culture guide. You can get that, have a conversation with your team and just see where you're at, right? Have that real conversation and start to drive it. And then I would love to connect. I was joking with you. I was in the car for three hours driving. We have office in another location and spent all three hours talking with business leaders this morning, right? Just about like, okay, here's what we're dealing with and helping them solve for the root problem because that's, this is what we do for a living. So if anybody is feeling this, if they've tried things and they didn't work, please reach out to me and let's see if there's something I can do to just guide you, right? To give you the resources that you need for your team. So Jamie Adam Tate's on LinkedIn, would love to connect with anybody there. You can also contact us from our website. But, you know, thank you for having this conversation and, and for having this topic on because it's so important right now. And it's not just important for the humans, for the employees. This is so critical for the entrepreneurs and the leaders. Mm-hmm. They've got to stay ahead of this game because I'm telling you, the next two to three years is going to be super painful if they don't know how to make their culture better than what it is today. And I think for a lot of people, understanding how to deal well with their team is already something that's on a good day challenging. Right, right. You know, I started the Strategic Coach Team Programs in 1995, trying to bridge the gap between entrepreneurs and teams because it seemed like yeah. never the twain shall meet. So this is something that's always been tough to come to grips with, right? right? And it's been mindsets on both sides. I mean, if you have someone who's super corporate mindset, expecting to only be dealt with on their head level and don't bring their hearts to work, they're not going to work well in an entrepreneurial company. You know, entrepreneurs have trouble communicating in general. They're getting better. What their intentions are, what the success criteria, mm-hmm. what the expectations are, what to be held accountable to. So bridging that gap has always been a challenge. And I think you're actually providing one of the paths. Hopefully, I've made a small contribution to that too. Yeah. But, you know, really articulating this element of the conversation about culture because I focus much more on the relationship side about what that means and how you can have a successful culture. And again, you want to create a company where your people want to come to work, not just you, and that you want to come to work because it's such a great group of people who are always leaving better than when they came in. That's a pretty... That's a place I want to be. Yeah, kick blank company (laughs) you want to be a part of, right? Right. Like that's exciting. And that's a culture that's incredibly attractive. People refer their friends. People refer only the good people that they want to work with. They're not going to refer the dregs. You know, the people like, no, 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 they don't belong in our culture. They're not good enough. You know, that's when you're going to magnetize amazing talent and other people are going to be like, what are you doing? Well, we've got an amazing culture that we work hard at making sure is fabulous. Right. And you made a point about your team success of that series. Every person that joins my organization has to watch that entire thing because they have to understand what it means to work in an entrepreneurial environment. And to be honest, it makes me feel less crazy totally. when they watch it. 
Yeah. But then the next step is how do you contribute to our culture? Based on this, how do you think you can contribute should be the next conversation. Okay. Love, love, love. Thank you for having people watch the team. That's video series. So that's a whole nother topic. (laughs) Yeah, but it is, it takes two. You know, they're not just employees. I don't love that term. They're team members. They're people who are in the sandbox with you playing the game and they need to contribute their talents and strengths because they're different than what you have. So there's, yes, we need partners. We need partners in our, in our world. One other thing I want to share that I really love that you do in the handout download that you made available is you start by recognizing what people are already doing right. Right. And where the strengths are. So it's not all, oh, this isn't working. That's, you know, you start off with here's elements of strength and then here's some elements of improvement, which is very much in line with coach. We always start with the positive focus before we go on to what the next opportunity is. Mm -hmm. So no one's going to go in the gap. (laughs) Right. No, doing this particular exercise. I'm like, oh, okay, we're doing really well here. This one, not so much. We've got some work to do. Right. And that to me is always exciting. The impact of hearing someone else's perspective and seeing us in a different way means we can kind of take the blinders off and have more insight into into how to be better, how to maximize our contribution. I love it. Oh my gosh. Love this. Jamie, you're the best. I love that we have gotten to connect and that you are doing what you're doing. And you've got a book coming out next year. It'll be, it'll probably end of 2022, 23, based on this model. So do it yourself is is our goal to help people really understand how to implement this in their business. Fantastic. Awesome. I'll come back and chat then. Please do. Yes. I want to hear what that (laughs) is. I'm sure there'll be some amazing stories of that too. So thank you. Thank you, A, for the work you're doing. And then B for sharing it with us, because I think this is a powerful conversation. You do with organizations of all sizes, including some really big ones. But I think this is such a relevant conversation because we can scale culture. Mm -hmm. And if you can start off with a great culture, it makes it so much easier to grow into the company that you want. And you've really given us some of the key elements to do that today. So thank you much. Much appreciated, Jamie. Jamie.